Greetings, Creepy Readers. The fifth episode of the Creepy Reader podcast begins in three, two, one. When the night is coming along, in your home in bed wearing your thoughts, just trying to kill the border. Well, hello there, creepy readers. It's me, your host, Coffin J, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Creepy Reader Podcast, the literary horror show made and named just for you. Today, we will be opening the door to the creepy backyard shed and entering Stephen King's enchanted world of fairy tale. But first, I'd like to welcome my best friend and owner of the most potent sperm in the Bible Belt, Zombie Zack. From the grave I rise. Zombie Zack, welcome back to the Creepy Reader Podcast, my friend. How are you doing on this fine? It's a Tuesday. I'm doing so wonderful, Creepy Readers, and I hope that you're all doing the same. Coffin J, pleasure to be with you. Good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So first things first, uh, how is how are the New Year's resolutions going? You know, I, I heard you saying something about eating chips yesterday and like, are you still on the water kick? Like, give us an update. How are things going? Yeah, I haven't had anything to drink except for water all year. Um, my eating has been about the same. So I'm still on track for heart disease, diabetes, all the things that you would expect from a guy who eats like shit. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really doing well on the water. I'm thinking next year I might maybe do a healthy eating thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Next year, five years, next decade, whatever. Also, creepy readers, I always say this. There is not a single day that has gone by that I haven't wanted to drink every bit of caffeine, coffee, tea, sweet tea, soda, juice, everything. So I'm thinking it's ingrained pretty deep in my soul here. Okay. So it hasn't been easy. That was going to be my next question. Things are, I'm doing okay. Like I'm not, I'm still not drinking as much water as I should. I haven't given up the caffeine, but I didn't say I was going to do those things. Uh, in terms of the eating, I've been doing okay. Like maybe not eating always the best stuff, but certainly less of it. And I, I haven't been exceeding my calorie goal for the day. And that includes eating Del Taco. And I'm going to talk about the aftermath of that. Oh, you know what? Actually, back on the subject of diabetes and heart disease, I just wanted to say, maybe we should have a poll. Who's going to die first, me or Zach? Who do you think it's going to be, Zach, me or you? If one of us does die first, we need to know, readers, who would you be buying a coffin for? I think you can tell Coffin J probably has a good coffin, so I would put the money towards my cause. And also, I'll come back from the afterlife and tell you how thankful I am. If you were to be planted as a tree, you would be like a redwood. I do have redwood right now, but that's (laughs) not in the same vein. You know what? I'm not sure if you're talking about the same thing I am, but I also have my palm is just a little bit raw. Anyway, moving on. Uh, So, Zombie Zach, uh, beyond the podcast and all the different things that we have going on here, you and I, as we've mentioned on the podcast before, we 
work in the film industry, or at least we want to, we're trying to, we make short films. I thought that maybe we could give people a little bit of taste of the story that you and I are working on that we're scripting currently. Now, I don't want to give a lot away here, you know, but I want to just, just enough to give everybody a little scrotum tickle. Oh, okay. Well, the story we're writing on Creepy Readers and that we plan to turn into a film, a short film, but as we go, it feels like it might have some great length to it, is a story about a horror author, obviously, and his success, how he got there, and his legacy. And more specifically, how his legacy is handled by his daughter, who takes over after his passing. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but God, there's a lot of good supernatural stuff here, and the script writing is just coming to us like it was sent to us via letter from hell. I think it's going well. Maybe the devil will make us a deal and pay for some of the production. I don't know. Zach, that was part of the deal, was that we were never supposed to talk about it. Speaking of talking about it, um, I just want to take a moment and please ask our wonderful listeners all like, yeah, well, we, uh, by the way, we're, we're up to like, how many streams did I tell you we had now, Zach? Um, gosh, was it 400, 500? Yeah, 400 something, 470. Yeah, we're close to we're close to like 500 streams. So first of all, I just want to say thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. You guys rock all over the globe. You rock. Uh, <coughs> hold on. <coughs> that, that'll teach me to smoke weed when we do the podcast, Zach. I ain't high, I'll tell you that, man. Uh, but I just want to say thank you so much for all the support and for listening wherever you are in the globe. Um, but I also just want to remind people that if you're not currently following the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that be one of the podcast platforms or YouTube, please follow subscribe um you know if you leave a rating or if there's room to you know write an actual review please take the time to do that it will help grow the podcast um and without an audience it's very difficult for us to uh, justify continuing to make this although we probably would just because we like to talk anyway uh, but if you guys could take the time to do that if you haven't already that would be so wonderful and we would love you more than we already do so that being said, I think that we should not waste any more time uh, groveling, and we should jump right into our creepy facts of the day. Zach, you went first last time, so I'm going to go ahead and go first this time. Um, my creepy fact today surrounds something called the Jimpai Jimpai. And at first, I thought it was pronounced Gimpy Gimpy, um, but that seemed improper. Uh, so, uh, which Jim Pie is obviously much more appropriate, right? It doesn't sound at all like a porno, uh, filmed at the Y. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Zach, if I just said the word Jim Pie, what would you guess that that was? I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I would guess two Jim bros in really unsafe circumstances just... Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> uh, okay, so creepy fact number one. The Jimpai Jimpai is a type of stinging bush that gets its name from the Australian town of Jimpai, where gold miners first identified this horrible bush in the 1860s. And there certainly was a lot of bush in the 1860s. This poisonous plant grows up to 10 feet tall and it has large heart-shaped leaves that can measure two feet across that are covered in thousands of little fuzzy hairs. Deceptively soft-looking, this hair 
is, you guessed it, treacherously toxic and extremely painful. The initial pain of the Jimpai Jimpai is described as feeling like 30 waspings, like being burnt with hot acid and electrocuted at the same time. And according to 100-plus-year-old accounts, the pain of the Jimpai sting is so severe that locals claim horses have purposely ran off cliffs committing horseyside just to put an end to their misery. Mm-hmm. Cyril Bromley, a World War II soldier, fell into the plant during training and was reportedly in such intense pain that he had to be strapped down to a hospital bed for three weeks, feeling as mad as a cut snake. Another soldier who felt the wrath of the Jimpai Jimpai shot himself to escape the agony. So effective, in fact, was the Jimpai Jimpai that in 1968, the British Army even considered using the plant as a basis to develop a neurotoxin to be used as a biological weapon of war. Of course, doing so would be a violation of the Geneva Protocol in 1925, which banned the use of such weapons after World War I, so it never came to fruition. The Jimpai Jimpai, however, does not abide by international treaties, leaving it free to induce terror and those unlucky enough to fall into its trap. So what do you think about that, man? That's a plan I don't want to fuck around with. It's always amazing how, how much nature can horrify. I mean, really, nature is one of the most horrific things, you know what I mean? Oh, by far. The things Absolutely. that nature comes up with. And my creepy fact has to do with a, uh, a species of bee whose primary source of protein is decaying flesh, known as a vulture bee. They make a honey-like goop, which is said to be intense, smoky, salty, and sometimes sweet. That brings a whole... God damn it, why can't I say that? <laughs> I'm going to type it out because I apparently I just have to fucking read it. The flavor of their honey-like goop is said to be intense, smoky, salty, or sometimes sweet. Brings a whole new meaning to BBQ. Mmm, BBQ. All right, go ahead. Oh. Okay, well, so declaring, declaring fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be one of those days where we just can't talk. I can tell you that much. I know. I okay, know I can feel it. That's okay. They're probably going shut the fuck up, Jason. Get to the book. Speaking of books, I guess it's time to dive into the poppy field of Stephen King's fairy tale. Charlie Reed looks like a regular high school kid. Great at baseball and football, a decent student, but he carries a heavy load. His mom was killed in a hit-and-run accident when he was 10, and grief drove his dad to drink. Charlie learned how to take care of himself and his dad. Then, when Charlie is 17, he meets a dog named Radar and his aging master, Howard Bowditch, a recluse in a big house at the top of a big hill with a locked shed in the backyard. Sometimes strange sounds emerge from it. Charlie starts doing jobs for Mr. Bowditch and loses his heart to Radar. Then, when Bowditch dies, he leaves Charlie a cassette tape telling a story no one would believe. What Bowditch knows, and has kept secret all his long life, is that inside the shed is a portal to another world. What are your expectations of the book based on, on that? What would you expect to get out of it going into that with, with just that little slice of info? 
I mean, it's kind of a class, like there's a bit of a classical fairy tale to it, which there's a portal to get to the other world. It's pretty interesting because I would really, and since you've read it, I'm just going to ask you, is the shed like a prominent thing? Like, does he go near the shed and Bowditch is like, hey, stay away from there. What are you doing? Or is it something that's not brought up until Bowditch is passed? Man, you really put me on the spot there. Um, I feel like it's a thing. I feel like he might have said like, you know, I, I feel like he might have asked about it. But maybe he was always just like, just stay away from it. You're probably right. Yeah, I think that's what happened. And Bodich is kind of like a, a, a grumpy old guy. But before we kind of get into all of that, um, you know, the name of the book is Fairy Tales. So I, I just want to take a moment. And do you have a favorite fairy tale? I know I do. A favorite fairy tale. I don't I don't think I'd say I have a favorite fairy tale. I do enjoy like the like the older versions of fairy tales because they're a little bit darker and more fun. And I like to imagine, you know, why people came up with them. Like, uh, like Hansel and Gretel, I guess would probably be a top one for me. I always found that pretty interesting as a kid. Oh yeah, dude. Hansel and Gretel's fucked up. And I feel like it's maybe the most like adapted one out there. I mean, they've got some, a grip of movies and cartoons, uh, but yeah, Hansel and Gretel is a good one, man. I got to say my favorite, probably Rumpelstiltskin. You know, Rumpelstiltskin, classic tale. Um, well, you and I, so we have a, an old movie that we made called Sweet Tooth, and it kind of started as us fucking around with the Rumpelstiltskin story. But I just love the idea of like, you know, A, spin this straw into gold, and B, just guess my name. It's just such a simple premise, but it's really effective. And I and Rumpelstiltskin is just, what a creepy little fuck. Am I right? Totally creepy little fuck. And just so everyone knows, uh, our film ended up being like really nothing to do with Rumpelstiltskin. So, <clears throat> but it did start there and it was an interesting idea when we started it. Yeah. We may have to revisit Rumpelstiltskin in some way, dude. I feel like we could do something interesting with that. Maybe, maybe there would be a way to like modernize that. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's not spinning straw into gold. Maybe it's something like bling related. I don't know. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Okay, so before we dive into the plot any further, we always have to take time to talk about the author, and the author today is Stephen King, so it's going to be kind of loaded. I mean, there's so much that we could say about the King, right? So I'm just going to give a brief summary, and then, Zach, we can talk a little bit about our experience with his books, because I know you've read a few, and I know that I've read a few more than you. Stephen Edwin King was born September 21st, 1947. Holy crap, he's old and is an American author of horror, supernatural fiction, suspense, crime, science fiction, and fantasy novels. Described as the King of Horror, a play on his surname and a reference to his high standing in pop culture, his books have sold more than 350 million copies and have been adapted into films, television series, miniseries, and comic books. King has published 64 novels, holy crap, including seven under the pen name Richard Bachman and five nonfiction books. He's also written approximately 200 short stories, most of which have been published in book collections. King has received Bram Stoker Awards, World Fantasy Awards, and British Fantasy Society Awards. In 2003, the National Book Foundation awarded him the Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. He has also received awards for his contribution to literature for his entire bibliography, such as the 2004 World Fantasy Award for Life Achievement and the 2007 Grand Master Award from the Mystery Writers of America. Wow. I mean, just an incredible... I mean, it's Stephen King. You know what I mean? Author of, uh, well... Maybe well beyond a generation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's been... When did Carrie come out? 
early 70s, mid 70s, like 74, something like that. So he's been, that's what, 50 years? Yep. I mean, he's been at this for, you know, 50, 50 years, you know, so he's got, and that's more than a book a year, which is just ridiculous because it's taken me 31 years to write 60 pages of one book. So there you go. Um, and did you know, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Did you know that he sells the rights to his short stories for only a dollar to aspiring filmmakers? Well, holy crap. I mean, we're aspiring. Let's go. Let's buy a few of these. I'll take, I'll take 15 right now. That's less than I spent on my fucking morning Uber Eats Starbucks. So I want to start with the start of the book, uh, because I have to agree, like, so many reviews of this book that I've watched and, and read out there. Um, the beginning is the absolute best part of the book. And when I say beginning, I'm talking like the first 250 pages are just absolutely magical. I don't know what it is about Stephen King, but he has this amazing ability to to make a magic of the mundane. His his ability to write characters that we like feel for, that we care about, and just his abilities to write like relationships between you you wouldn't think that'd be hard because like our whole entire lives revolve around relationships you know but to write one convincingly on the page and one that is not only like true but that make us uh, like covet it you know what i mean like man i wish i had that relationship he's just so good at doing that and especially like love stories and stuff like that i want to start off talking about the death of charlie's mom and what, what is referred to in the book as the goddamn bridge uh, and all for some chicken. Oh, dude, dude, it's speaking of chicken. I forgot to tell you this, that track that I sent you earlier that I was recording. Dude, so I was right in the middle of, of recording some of that, those lyrics, right? And I felt like I had a huge booger in my nose. Like I scratched my nose. I felt like a lump under my nose. I thought, oh my God, I've got a huge fucking booger in my nose. And so what are you going to do if you have a big booger? You're going to pick it. I mean, yeah, on Caruso, absolutely. You know what I mean? If it's that massive, you're going to pick it. You're going to play with it a little bit. So, dude, I picked it. I picked it out, dude. It was massive. It was huge. So I looked at it. Dude, it was a piece of chicken. <laughs> oh, my God. It was a piece of chicken <laughs> that was stuck in my nose. Dude, it was not even a reasonable size piece of chicken. I mean, we're talking like a size, like a knuckle, like from one knuckle oh to God. another on your pinky. How long before you, how long before had you eaten chicken? Maybe 45 minutes. And I've been oh singing like God. that the whole time. And I kept thinking to myself, my tone is so nice right now. And I think it was because the chicken was affecting the tone. <laughs> That's what I get for shaving my nose hairs finally, dude. I shaved my nose hairs and it's like I created a, it's like I cleared out a pocket of, for chicken to go into and there was <laughs> nothing to push it out. And so basically what the story is, is that um, it's like any other day. Charlie's on his way home, I think, from school. And he's confronted by radar and a lassie kind of, what is it, girl? So-and-so fell down the well? Uh, kind of moments. Um, she leads him over to Mr. Bowditch, who's like been climbing this ladder, even though he's like 100 freaking years old or something like that and definitely should be climbing ladders. And he's like falling. He's like, oh, you know, and so he calls 911 and, you know, basically ends up becoming the hero. Uh, and he ends up taking care of Radar. And then eventually when Mr. Bowditch comes home, he takes care of him in the home as well. So they be kind of quickly become friends and, and quickly Radar and, and Charlie are like, you know, peas and carrots. You know what I mean? Um, and of course, we got to talk about the mysterious shed out back. So it's, it's literally out back of the psycho house. And dude, there's so much for this story to get through. Um, let me just tell you that Mr. Bowditch is like a really mysterious guy, right? So he's old. He lives up on this hill. He doesn't really come out and nobody knows what he does. 
But when he's in the hospital, like Radar needs food, you know, he has things that need to get done around the house and, and groceries that need to get purchased. And, you know, he doesn't have any cash or anything like that to give Charlie. So, you know, after a few visits, he ends up, he ends up giving him like, basically like, look, I've got some gold. Okay. I've got a big bag of gold pellets. You can take that to this guy, cash him in for some money and just keep that. And by the way, I'll pay you for your time. So we're just building up these mysteries about Mr. Bowditch. Um, so long story short, Charlie helps him with recovery and chores. And after some months, um, you know, radar who was already old is really starting to decline. And, uh, then one day Mr. Bowditch just up and has a heart attack and he dies, uh, leaving everything to Charlie, the house, the gold radar, and a recorder with a message, a message that will change Charlie's life forever. Did your father investigate me, Charlie? I bet he did. I know I would have if I'd been in his shoes. If so, you will have found out that someone named Adrian Bowditch, maybe my father, you would have thought, more likely my grandfather, bought the land the house stands on in 1920. It wasn't either of them. It was me. I was born Adrian Howard Bowditch in 1894, which makes me just about 120 years old. I came back for the last time as Adrian Bowditch in 1969. In 1972, the age of 78, I hired a caretaker named John McKean and went on my last trip, supposedly to Egypt. But that is not where I went, Charlie. Three years later, in 1975, I came back as my son, Howard Bowditch, age around 40. After Adrian Bowditch supposedly died in Egypt, I took a residence at the family manse and decided to stay. There was no doubt about ownership. I had willed it to myself. Rich, wouldn't you say? Before I tell you the rest, I want you to stop the tape and go out to the shed. You can open it. You have my keys. At least I should hope you do. There's nothing in there that can hurt you. The boards are back in place with the blocks on top of them. Christ, how heavy they were. But take my gun if you like, and take the flashlight too. The one in the kitchen cupboard. There are lights in the shed, but you'll still want the flashlight. You'll know why. See what there is to see. When you've had a shifty, as the Brits used to say, come back and listen to the rest. Do it now. Trust me, Charlie. I'm depending on you. What do you think about that, man? Pretty crazy stuff. I told you it was a long passage. I'm sorry, but it's just so good. It's really undeniable how well Stephen King just takes character-driven writing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, there's an old man. He keeps coming back to this town. He see, you know, it keeps changing every time he comes back. And he's got this mysterious shed. What is it that he shot inside the shed? Is that a, is that a spoiler? No, not necessarily. It's like a gigantic fucking cockroach. Holy shit. Yeah. So like gigantic cockroaches will occasionally come out of this this little come up the staircase of this little inside the shed. Yeah. So I guess that my, my question then at this point is, dude, if somebody said, Oh, by the way, there's a world in the back shed. What are you going to do? You're going right. Or are you like, that's too much for me? I mean, yeah, I would definitely go, but I'd also be like, okay, Hey, I'm just going to listen to the rest of this tape before I go. 
He's like, um, listen to half of this tape and then go to the shed and look at it and then come back and then finish the tape. <laughs> Don't finish the tape until you get back from visiting the world. It's, a, it's important. Uh, either way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, really interesting stuff. And um, naturally, I mean, Charlie does what any of us would do. He takes his gun, uh, which was also left to him by Mr. Bowditch and Radar, the dog, and he goes down the spiral staircase, entering for the first time. Into the land of Empus. Um, what do you think about that? The name Empus. It, uh, pronounce it one more time. Empus. E M P I S. Empus. Empus. I th- I think. He's like, no, it is M P. It reminds me of the word impish, so it kind of goes well with the whole fairy tale, like vibe. But, well, no, I mean, I think it's more like Empus, like Empire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and interesting about the, is from page one, when you enter this world, it starts taking a page out of all these different fairy tales. The most obvious one right off the bat is the Wizard of Oz. And it does so by including this big, vast of uh, field of red poppies. Do you remember that scene in the Wizard of Oz where they're in the poppies and they fall asleep? And Oh, man, it's been a long time, but yeah, I, got I know. Vaguely. Dude, the Wizard, dude, the Wizard of Oz is a classic. It's such a good movie. Even to this day, dude, I love that movie. So he goes down uh, into the land of Empus. And the sad thing is that Radar is so far gone at this point that he like Radar can't even make it down the stairs and stuff like he's like, I'm going to have to carry Radar down the stairs. Oh, and yeah. So he goes down and the first thing that he finds uh, or that he wanders upon is a little tiny house where a woman named Dora lives. And Dora is so cute. She's like the old lady who lived in the shoe. It's like a play on that because Dora is like this little lady who just repairs shoes and she's so sweet. As if summoned by the thought, the cottage's back door opened, and a woman came out with the other boot in her hand, the buckles gleaming in the mellow light of that white sky day. I knew she was a woman because she was wearing a pink dress and red shoes, also because generous breasts plumped out the bodice of her dress, but her skin was slate gray and her face was cruelly deformed. It was as if her features had been drawn in charcoal, and some bad-tempered deity had rubbed its hand across them, smearing and blurring them almost out of existence. Her eyes were slits, as were her nostrils. Her mouth was a lipless crescent. She spoke to me, but I couldn't tell what she was saying. I think her vocal cords were as blurred out as her face. But the lipless crescent was unmistakably a smile, and there was a feeling, a vibe if you like, that said I had absolutely nothing to fear from her. So I read that passage because I wanted to demonstrate kind of the curse that these people are under. I, I, I think I briefly mentioned to you that they kind of had these crazy kind of blurred out, you know, features and stuff like that. But now that you've heard it from the passage, I mean, it's really qu- quite a visceral image. Yeah, it really is. And I, I mean, how give me an idea how big she was again. I, I might have missed it in that passage. It's the size of a boot, right? No, 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 not really. Um, but. Not not really. It's just a take on the lady in the shoe. You know what I mean? Okay, Except okay. for she lives in like a normal size house and but she just like repairs shoes and gives uh, them okay. to weary travelers who don't have shoes for free. And it's just like what she does. She's just like the sweetest lady ever. Like if she were like a fat Italian, you would come over and she would make you spaghetti. Mama mia. Oh yeah. And fix my shoes. I love that. Yeah, dude. Exactly. Um <laughs> 
Um, so he spends a short time with Dora and then he returns home. So he doesn't stay there long the first time. And upon his return, he meets Polly. And Polly um, is this guy who, remember I told you that he, he'd been given this bag of gold by Mr. Bowditch and he had to go exchange it for cash. Yep. So it, it turns out that this guy that he exchanged it for cash, I mean, it has to be kind of an under the table transaction. And so this guy performs the service for Mr. Bowditch. He doesn't ask any questions. And apparently somebody must have caught wind of this or something like that because this guy ends up getting murdered. And it's this guy now who is confronting Charlie. And he's got him at gunpoint. He's like, give me all that motherfucking gold, motherfucker. Right? And immediately, um, Charlie starts comparing him to Rumpelstiltskin. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so ultimately nothing happens. Charlie gets the better of him, shoots him in the legs. Oh, shit. I know. I know. Charlie's not fucking around, dude. He's a man. Like, he's a nice kid, but he's a fucking man. Basically, you know, he comes back and then he makes up his mind. He's like, I'm going to go back. Charlie prepares. He lies to his father saying that he's going to run off to some clinic, maybe on the East Coast or something like that, to find some experimental treatment that can help combat radar's old age and extend it somehow. And with everything set, he once again descends down the staircase to Empus with radar. Um, and I just want to talk about like the, this is so beautiful to me. It's so beautiful and simple. As the story starts, the first like 250, 300 pages of the story, it's really just, it's a simple story about a boy and his dog. And he's heard about this thing that can turn back the time. And all he wants to do is give his dog a second chance and save his dog. So that's really what this journey starts off as being. And for me, that's like so touching. I'm like, I would gladly do that for Luna, even though I just yelled at her a couple minutes ago because she was fucking up my podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a great age to fall in love with a dog too. So unfortunately, um, you know, the part before Charlie descends into Empus for pretty much the rest of the story is the best part of the story. Um, so heading into this next section, it's kind of like uh, the best days are behind us, just like life, right? But there's still a lot to enjoy once we get to Empus. I mean, the world is expanded, as is the list of problems that Charlie needs to solve while in Empus. Um, he meets quite a few people on his way to the sundial. Uh, so I just want to kind of go through a few of those people just in case they become important. I know at least a few of them will. Um, so we have Dora. We already talked about her. Uh, but more importantly, we meet members of this kind of dethroned royal family. So you have to think of Empus as it's it's called the Haunted City. So, I mean, it really is like Emerald City. It kind of sounds like Emerald City when he's describing it from Wizard of Oz. But essentially the backstory is that, you know, there was a uh, a monarchy. The monarchy was somehow overthrown and now they're just living away from Empus, away from danger, just kind of in these random towns. And it's like this gray disease is spreading across all the land. And that's really kind of the situation that we're in. Uh, so members of the dethroned royal family that he meets are Claudia. And Claudia is a, like a deaf woman who, and that's like her, um, that's like the thing that's wrong with her, right? And, uh, but she, so she looks like Mary Poppins and she rides a bike like the Wicked Witch of the West. So, and I, and those I think are clearly drawn like that is what she's meant to represent like two other kind of fairy tale characters, you know, I don't know about the wicked witch cause she's not evil, but just, you know, just uh, some biggest image I got of someone, you know, riding on a bike. So beyond that, we have a guy named Woody. He's like this old blind man. He kind of reminds me of the old creepy rat in the secret of Nim. You remember that movie? 
Oh man, way back. Yeah, that's the one with the owl, right? Yeah, dude, the scary fucking owl and that scary ass fucking wise rat. Dude, really, that's a scary children's movie. Fuck that movie. Dude, animation used to be really scary. <laughs> used to, oh, I know, dude, Ren and Stimpy is still the scariest fucking shit I've ever seen. And most importantly, we have Leah. Uh, she is like the princess who is described as beautiful, though she has no mouth and can't talk. Um, so instead of a mouth, she has like this, so no mouth, no lips. She really has like this kind of, I think it's described as like a crescent shaped birthmark where her mouth should be. And she has to puncture it every time that she wants to eat, which for her is really not eating. It's like drinking sustenance through a straw. So that's really what her curse is. So it's kind of this really sad thing, but all in all, it doesn't really matter because Charlie's still like, I you know, he's like all over that. And the weird thing about her is that, you know, she can't talk, but she can, um, she's like a ventriloquist and she can throw her voice. So she talks through a horse. I mean, doesn't, so, okay. She talks through a horse. Yeah. She like throat talks, but like, it's like the horse talks for her. And I think oh, it like God. moves its lips and stuff. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. It's it's totally weird. And he doesn't care that he has a mouth. He's like, God damn, I want to kiss your fucking mouth, <laughs> your little slit. I want to kiss your slit. <laughs> So he meets all these people, each of them imparts wisdom, and then finally Charlie takes something called the Kingdom Road uh, toward the haunted city of Lillimar. So Empus is like the world, Lillimar is like the city, okay? Okay. And Lillimar is home of the Sundial and a lot of other nasty creatures, including a giantess called Hannah, who guards the city and eats men. Um, so Charlie is able to make his way through the city, avoiding Hannah, uh, and he kind of gets you know, to the end quicker than you'd think it makes it the sundial and maybe about like halfway through the book, radar gets his youth back. And let me tell you, this is such a happy moment. I mean, I kind of, I wasn't expecting it to happen. Honestly, I was like, radar's probably going to die. He's like, or, or, or like, well, I thought I, I didn't think he would ever make it to the sundial. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to spoil too much. Can you rejoice a little bit about the dog? What was that? Will you rejoice a little bit about the dog? I mean, rejoice about my dog? No, fuck your dog. You got to rejoice about Radar, dude. I really do love that. Now, is he, is the dog like fading as we go on? Like, is it in the nick oh, of time yeah. or? Okay. Like okay. she has a, she has to ride in like a wagon cause she can't even really walk anymore. Oh, poor baby. Yeah, and if it and if it was if it was Benny, Caitlin would just be like, "Fucking let that thing die." <laughs> no, she wouldn't, but she would be like, "Hey, if he gets in a bad spot, like he's the first tie we cut." You know what I mean? <laughs> um now my question is like does uh, so Hannah is this big monster? Does Hannah eat not eat dogs? Like does she never discover radar or does radar kind of already know to avoid her? So they're able to avoid her the first time because like, I think, I think, I think it's like meal time. So she's busy eating something else. You know, I think it was like fucking dead bodies and shit that she was snacking on. It was pretty gross. Ugh. So after Radar is given her health, Charlie tries to escape 
uh, out of the city. Uh, but that Rumpelstilt, so basically, here's the cool part. So that Rumpelstiltskin guy existed in the real world, but like you see in other movies, like how, like think traditionally how in like Peter Pan, how like, uh, you know, Mr. Darling and, and Captain Hook are played by the same actor. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Same thing here. He's done this within the book, which I thought was a really interesting thing. Cause there's a counterpart in Empus for this Polly guy who's like a Rumpelstiltskin. So he exists. Um, as like a new character, but they look the exact same, you know? So I think that's kind of a really interesting thing that you see in movies, but not really in, in books. Basically, in order to navigate through the city, Mr. Bowditch had left all these carvings behind. And basically, he had gone through and like removed all these different carvings and stuff like that. So that way he wasn't able to navigate his way back out of the city. And essentially, he ends up getting, Charlie ends up getting captured by like these crazy, they're like night. So they're like the evil knights, right? But when they describe them, I always imagine them as that Squidward-looking fucking thing from Avengers Infinity War. That's the lamest idea I have ever heard. So I think he looks like that. And they have like these like wands with electricity that they like shock people with. So he gets taken by them and gets taken to the dungeon. And then uh, Radar escapes, though. But the sad part about this is that we don't get to see Radar for like hundreds of pages after this. And we, at least I miss her. And so for me, this was, yeah. This book is long. Yeah, dude. So we took like, I mean, we took like kind of a left turn here, you know? Uh, And I was like, "Mm, maybe, I I just, I really don't know. This was the part that kind of dragged on for me. Um, And so basically inside of uh, Lilimar, there's this ruler called the Flight Killer. And the flight killer basically has like a gladiator arena. So when they took him, they basically have now arranged him to become like a gladiator amongst other gladiators. And they're fighting for kind of this pinnacle spot. Uh, And that's kind of where I checked out a little bit because there's just like a lot of training and fighting. And it reminded me a lot of the Brandon Sanderson uh, Words of Radiance book and like all the different guys there. So I, I liked it. It was certainly very fantasy. Like it was very fantasy. Don't get me wrong. But in context of like what I was expecting from the story, I wasn't as happy with it as I would have been if it was like a, an actual medieval story or something, you know? And to that end, uh, since it's kind of a boring part of the book, I say we go on another creepy reader of Tangent. Creepy gladiator facts. When a gladiator was struck down inside the arena and his blood poured out from his body, spectators might see another man running toward the corpse. He would drop to his knees beside the slain gladiator and place his lips against a bloody wound. Mm. There, he would drink the blood as if he were a vampire. The man drinking the gladiator's blood would have been an epileptic who was told that his only cure for the affliction would be to drink the blood directly from a gladiator's wound. If the gladiator had been gutted, spectators would have witnessed an entirely different scene. People from the crowd would have rushed to grab a piece of the warrior's liver. The liver, because liver is king. Liver king. The liver was then sold to the sufferers of epilepsy, who were instructed to take nine separate doses of the gladiator's liver in order to be free of the disease. Okay, I see. I mean, it's amazing to me the kind of like connery that went on then. Because they're not even mentioning that everyone has to, like, put their butthole to the sunlight like the Liver King said. So, unbelievable. He, he said you have to put your butthole to the sunlight? Yeah, that was part of the tenants. Like, you need you need sunlight on the butthole and, like, you'll never it does need not steroids say butthole. again. Uh-huh. 
I mean, I don't watch all his content. He looked like he was on steroids from the beginning to me, but you know, hey, whatever. I know. Well, he got bitch. He got fucking bitch slapped, dude. <laughs> he really did. You know what's great is that we can now hashtag this Liver King. <laughs> Maybe it'll be our most <laughs> successful episode. <laughs> um, okay, I'll read the last gladiator fact. There is no denying that gladiators were sex objects. They were strong, courageous, and dangerous men. They made women faint. And there were quite a few free women who left their husbands and children just to chase after gladiators. Men were often jealous of the gladiators. Every time a gladiator stepped into an arena, he faced death, and the lucky ones survived to win the absolute adoration of the crowd. Gladiators were idolized. Their images appeared on vases, in mosaics, and carved onto walls. With so much attention, it is little wonder that their blood was sought after by the Roman men. Believing not only that the blood of Gladiator had healing powers, men sought the fighter's blood because it was believed to increase a man's sexual vigor. However, unlike the epileptics, who had to drink blood from a wound, men could purchase Gladiator blood and drink it when it was needed. This brought about a big trade in Gladiator blood, and it was said to have been rather expensive, although we were left to wonder how much of the blood sold to men actually came from a gladiator and how much of it came from other victims or animals. God, there's always there's always industries that are just ripping people off, man. Well, not only that, but just think of, have you heard of all these other weird ancient renemies they would have? It's just like, ooh, if you want to cure acne, you got to drink piss. You know what I mean? I'm going to rub my face and piss, or I'm going to rub like sheep shit on my, on my fucking nose. To get rid of my blackheads. I mean, people still do that. There's a famous boxer that I really liked named Juan Manuel Marquez, and he like famously drinks his piss because he thinks it'll make him a better fighter. Yeah, I saw a video like that the other day. I think it was a joke, but they literally showed someone drinking what looked like piss, and I was really grossed out. And I really imagine trying to drink my own piss, and I'm like, even if if I had to survive and that was all I had, like I probably would do it, you know. But it's just gross. It's, I don't know. Maybe if I drank a lot of water first, because then it wouldn't look so gross. Uh, So now that we skipped the boring part, um, I want to chat about the ending of the book. I want to wrap this thing up kind of quickly. Sorry that we have to do that, but time is of the essence and time is money. Uh, And the end of the book is truly where it starts to get good again. Just to give context is like what this final battle kind of... uh, you know, comes to a head as is, is basically everybody is um, all brought back together. You know, Radar's fine. He brings Leah, the girl with no mouth. He brings Dora. He brings uh, Woody and Claudia and, you know, all these other townsfolk and stuff like that. And we're like, fuck it. We're taking back the kingdom. Basically, it all comes to a head uh, as I, I had mentioned this before, but in Empus, there's two moons, right? Sound familiar? There's two moons named Bella and Arabella. And basically, they're threatening to collide in the sky um, as we as the story comes to a head, which is like this thing that's been kind of prophesized uh, will open something called the Dark Well, uh, from which will emerge this evil entity named Gog Magog. Say that 12 times fast. Gog Magog, Gog Magog, Gog Magog, Gog Magog, Gog I, I mean, said fast, man. Gog magog, gog magog, gog magog, gog magog, gog magog, gog magog. Can't do it. <laughs> it's too hard. Um, dude, that's a crazy name, but I really like it. I almost wish it was like grog magog. Grog magog. Yeah. So it's not so much og. You know what I mean? It's like og og og. 
If you got rid of the if you got rid of the M's, it would be Agagog. The GNM. Magog. It's a lot. That sounds really bad. Um, not a big fan of the name though. I, I in Re- fact, I really hate it. Really? I like the name. It, it kind of looks cool on the page. Anyway, so our final confrontation is, uh, as you know, Gog Magog is beginning to emerge from the dark well and Charlie's reflecting on basically the story as we've, you know, had it told to us so far. And it's a really good passage. So I'm just going to read it to you. Once upon a time, my mother was struck by a plumber's truck on the Sycamore Street Bridge and killed when it drove her onto the bridge stanchions. Most of her stayed on the bridge, but her head and shoulders had gone to Little Rumple River. Always Rumpelstiltskin, from the very beginning. The original fairy tale, you might say. And how did the queen's daughter get rid of the troublesome elf? I know your name, I shouted. The voice was not my own. No more than many of the thoughts and insights in this story belong to the 17-year-old boy who first came to Empus. It was the voice of a prince, not of this world and not of mine. I had begun by calling Empus the other, but I was the other, still Charlie Reed, sure, but I was someone else as well. And the idea that I had been sent here, that my clock had been wound and set years ago when my mother walked across that bridge, munching a chicken wing, for just this moment was impossible to doubt. Later, when the person I was in the underground world began to ebb away, I would doubt it. But then, no. I know your name, Gogmagog, and I command you to return to your lair. It screamed. The stone floor shook and cracks ran across it. Far above us, graves were once again giving up their dead, and a great crevice was zigzagging its way across the field of the monarchs. Those huge wings flapped, raining down stinking drops that burned like acid. But you know what? I liked that scream. Because I was a dark prince, and that was a scream of pain. Gogmagog, Gogmagog, your name is Gogmagog. It screamed each time I spoke its name. Those screams were in the world. They were also deep in my head, as the hum had been, threatening to burst my skull. The wings beat frantically. Great eyes glared at me. Return to your lair, Gogmagog. <laughs> <laughs> It does sound kind of funny. <laughs> I'm just going to end it with a laugh because that's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, man. So Gog Magog, man. And Gog Magog, I, I couldn't read the whole thing because it would have been again forever long, but it's kind of this Lovecraftian thing with like tentacles that comes out. Um, and we find out that this flight killer was really, you know, possessed the whole time and it wasn't necessarily his fault. Um, and not only that, but it is also Leah's brother. Oh. And Leah cuts. Yeah, Leah, I know. I didn't want to give it away, but I have to. It's like the best part of the whole thing. At the end, right before this whole thing, passage that I just read happens, Leah takes his dagger cuts open her mouth and yells her brother's name which is Eldon um, which is like just crazy thing dude imagine her just cutting her fucking mouth open and screaming when you haven't heard her talk this whole time just like really powerful stuff really powerful stuff man I can tell you one thing I bet she sounded a little less hoarse (laughs) (laughs) I want to have the one liners damn it Either way, there's so I'm not going to go into too much about, you know, how this story ends completely. But, you know, we, we don't necessarily I'll say that we get kind of one of those bittersweet endings, you know, which I think is 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 the, the right way to end something, because life is bittersweet, is it not? 
And so when, you know, fantasy reflects that or really any kind of book, I just, I find it to be profound. And every time I close a Stephen King book, I always think back and I go, man, that was profound. And it's one of those things where you close the last page and then you just kind of, kind of like, look at the front again, then look at the back. And then you just kind of got to hold it. Then you got to ruffle through the pages and it's like, wow, you know, like the rest of the whole day feels different. Exactly. And you're kind of like, I'm not going to ever have quite that experience again. And that's just the thing that I love about books. And Stephen King is so good. And, and while not every part of the book was a 10, um, overall, it really was a lovely read. It was exciting. It's a really big book and I still got through it, you know, probably in a week, uh, so I, something that I would definitely recommend. So that being said, I think that we should go ahead and give our final ratings. Uh, of course, mine being, you know, what I thought, uh, out of five and yours being, would you read it out of five? And I hope I've left enough mystery for you there, zombie Zach, but, uh, nonetheless, why don't you go first? Um, okay. Um, let's go out of giant roaches. You're disgusting. My likelihood out of five giant roaches is probably a two and a half giant roaches. Really? Yeah. I mean, it all sounds interesting, but I mean, it must be drawn out because you're saying halfway through the book, the dog recovers and then we lose the dog for hundreds of pages. I mean, this thing is a. it almost sounds like it's almost too incoherent to be a like a trilogy series, but I would imagine something like this being more like a trilogy book, you know, you know what I mean? A trilogy series. You know, if, it, if it was played that way, I feel like we could have had more development in some of the places with the land and stuff like that, just to give everything a little bit more backbone. And I think that it could have played really good as like a trilogy or even a duology would have not been bad, but you know what? I'm not going to complain. I mean, it was a really, it was a really good book. I still enjoyed it. And regardless of the plot or the things you don't like about that, Stephen King's writing is always cream of the crop, dude. It's so good. Hard to read out loud, but absolutely beautiful just today dude you and i just can't fucking do it today i don't know what in the (laughs) world is going on um so i'm just gonna uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it with this you know fairy tale uh i i read today that they're gonna be making a movie based off of this film okay and that was announced uh, september 15th of last year which i think is the day the book was released so kind of interesting um so it's going to be made by British filmmaker Paul Greengrass. <laughs> I'd like to smoke some of that Greengrass. Uh, known for the Jason Bourne film franchise. So he's going to adapt, direct, produce um, an adaptation of the novel uh, being co-produced uh, by Gregory Goodman. So I don't know, man. I think this could be an interesting – could be like it could be good or bad. Like they can't do that thing like they did with the Dark Tower movie and cut corners and try and condense everything and then just make it shitty, you know? Um, uh, yeah, no, it definitely sounds interesting as a movie format, but I, I don't see where you don't cut corners here. You know what I mean? There's, there's just 600 page books don't always turn. I mean, even Harry Potter has things that are just have to be eliminated because you can't fit it all in a movie. Well, that's fine. But I just mean, you know, like it is the same way. I, you, know, you don't have to break it into two movies. It's not quite that big, but I just mean, stay true to the story, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't yeah, don't don't you. go off in weird tangents just to, you know what I mean? Uh, just like, stu- they do stupid shit like that, like what they did to Percy Jackson. The original Percy Jackson sucked, and I'm kind of glad that they're remaking a new series. Just so, because that, that story deserves a, a fair shake if you're like, I, you know what? <laughs> I never read those books. What the fuck am I talking about? But I still feel like it's a beloved book, you know? And they shouldn't be yeah. doing it dirty like that. Um. So, last question, and then I'm, we're going to let it go, okay? Now, any uh, fairy also tale. throw in your rating because I don't think you threw in your rating. Oh, you're right. I didn't do my rating. Holy crap. 
my rating is going to be you did 2.5. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to give this a 3.4. I liked it well enough, but it, it definitely lost like a good 0.6 uh, for a couple of, for, the, for that expanse of a few hundred pages. Last question of the night. You ready for this? I'm ready. Any fantasy land, whether it be in a novel or film, if you could visit it, where are you going? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I'm tempted to choose something that would be pleasurable, right? Oh, hold on. Pleasurable? What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Um... Hmm. What is that? God, what is that old film? I really love that. Uh, probably the world from Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, just. Oh, dude, that's terrifying. Yeah, super terrifying. I, I'm more tempted to go like dark with the fairy tales. I think they'd be cooler anyway. Um, and the second one would be, which is a little more. Uh, I don't know if it would be considered fairy tale, but you know, like the Van Helsing style stuff oh okay so just in a world of monsters where you get to kill them yeah for me i'm gonna say where am i dude well i don't know if it's really considered a different world because it's like the same as our world but dude i'm going to hogwarts bro 100 percent. yeah how could you beat it i mean would you be are you visiting under the are you a muggle there or no fuck no okay if you're just a muggle, is it still if your I'm choice? A muggle, if I'm a muggle, I'm that fat guy from the new <laughs> Fantastic Beasts. Because he gets to play around with the Wizards of Light. He even got a wand in the last movie. I want to be that guy. Uh, next episode, I'm going to be chatting with either Zombie Zack, you Zombie Zack, or... I, and I'm not sure about the schedule yet. I'm really sorry, guys. And we'll be talking about the book two of the Dean Koontz Frankenstein series, City of Night, which is... The book we started off this podcast with in our first episode, uh, the sequel to that. Or I'll be chatting with Andrew uh, Adams uh, about his book, Symposium of the Reaper, Volume 1 and 2, um, the last of which releases next month. Uh, lots of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. So, uh, Zach, I'll let you know tentatively what's going on with the schedule. So just stay tuned, my friend. But you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna read this one, right? You're going to read it before we do the podcast. I've uh, got to. I read the first, I listened to the first one on audiobook just like I promised all of you I wouldn't. So, gotta read the second one. That's what I'm talking about. All right, guys. So, uh, lots of creepy stuff coming down the pipeline. So, please stay tuned. Until next time, keep reading creepers. When the night is coming along, when you're home in bed.